Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning and glad that you're here. And those that are visiting, we're glad that you came to be with us. I hope you're blessed by today's worship. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy of our worship. And so, turn with me to John chapter 4. And we worship through the preaching of the word. John 4. I'd like to start at verse 10, read down through verse 14. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time we have to come and to worship you as your people, as your church, <clears throat> we're thankful for the worship of our singing and the prayers and the giving. Uh, now, Lord, we desire very much to worship you with your word and the, the preaching of your word. And so we thank you for it and pray that you would receive honor and glory out of it because you alone are worthy of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at this section, this portion of Scripture in John 4 over the last few weeks, couple of weeks. And uh, last time we were here, we saw through our mind's eye as the Samaritan woman came to the well and began a conversation. Jesus began a conversation with her that changed the course of the conversation from physical water to living water. I think everyone knows that physical water will quench the thirst for at least a short time. But then you have to have more to replenish it over and over again. In fact, a person can go quite a long time without food, but they cannot go a very long time without water. Jesus offered this woman living water, which has the ability to satisfy the soul that has been scorched and ravaged by the effects of sin. Now, in looking at this, beginning of this passage, I think it's wise to remind ourselves of a few facts 
concerning this living water. The first is, is that Jesus himself is the source of living water. He answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus had the living water in himself. He is the source of it. It originates with him. Second, this living water reaches our deepest needs even to the depths and the darkness of one's own heart. It it reaches down to our depths of need. And every single person on earth is in that place of darkness and deep need of living water. John 7, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Think of it. Third, this living water is like a spring that never dries up. Revelation chapter 7 speaks of the Lamb and Him in the midst of the throne. He will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will, the springs are always flowing in this river of living, to form this river of living water. And finally, the living water produces a fruitful life. Very interesting passage in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, where he says, The angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, this river of water that flowed from the throne of God, on either side of the river was the tree of life. And it bears twelve kinds of fruit. Wouldn't you love to have that? You wouldn't need an orchard, you just need one tree. Because it bears its fruit every month. And its leaves are for the healing of the nations. This water of life is a per, in a person. It's in Christ. And He alone possesses this life-giving water. All one has to do to quench their thirst, and the thirst of their soul, is to drink. Just drink. What a common picture of need it is to see a person drinking water. Is there anything easier to do than to drink when you're thirsty? Spurgeon comments on this. He says this, quote, What does a thirsty man do to get rid of his thirst? He drinks. Perhaps there is no better representation of faith in all the word of God than that. To drink is to receive, to take in the refreshing liquid. And that is all. A man's face may be unwashed, yet he can drink. He may be 
a very unworthy character. But yet, a drink of water will remove his thirst. Drinking is such a remarkably easy thing, even more simple than eating. And he's right. There's a lot less work in drinking than there is in eating. Jesus would have freely given this woman the water of life, this living water, if she had asked for it. He said, if you had asked me, if you had asked me, I would have given it to you. But then how can a person ask for something of which they do not know exists? They know nothing about it. This is not, this passage is not a proof of free will. Some people take this to say, see, if she had just asked the Savior, then the Savior would have given her the living water and she'd have been saved. It was all up to her, all up to an act of her will. That is not what this passage is teaching. This was simply a means that the Lord would use to make her aware of her need. She has to understand that she needs more than just water that's drawn from that well. She needed living water and she didn't even know that living water existed or that she had a need of it. Him saying, if you would have asked me, is to to, uh, acknowledge, get her to acknowledge her need. To understand that she has a need for this living water. Which is salvation. And he had it. He had the salvation. That brings us to our passage today that we read. From verses 11 through 14. We see in this passage that the Lord of glory. Himself. Humbled himself to speak or even. To seek help from this woman who, like all other unbelievers, was ignorant of the gift of God. Unbelievers are ignorant of the gift of God. That's why the gospel has to be preached. They don't know it. They don't know that God has this gift. She doesn't yet recognize Jesus for who he really is. To her, he's just a tired, weary Jewish traveler. Who asked for a drink of water. And this is the problem with the masses of humanity. They do not know who Jesus is in their hearts. Believe it or not, there are people in the United States of America who do not know who Jesus is. You say, well, this is a Christian nation. Is it? I would submit to you that we are less Christian as every day goes past. And there are people all over this country that have never heard of Jesus. They don't know who he is. I've met a few of them myself. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? Never heard of him. To them, if they have heard of him, to them, he is simply a figure in history. Or he is a great prophet from the past. Or he is just one among a list of many who claim to be divine. To the Samaritan, 
the one who would have this living water, he was one that they called Taheb, Taheb. The Samaritans believed in one called the Taheb. And the Taheb was to them the, their Messiah. In fact, today, if you speak to Islamic people, they will tell you that they are looking for their Mahdi, they, their, their so-called Islamic Messiah, the one who will come and make Islam the world religion. The word Taheb meant the restorer. This is what the Samaritans were looking for. They were looking for a restorer, much like Moses, who was a deliverer of Israel. And after the fashion of Moses, they cited scriptures in Numbers 24, like verse 7, waters shall flow from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters and he will rise high above the nations. This is who they were looking for. We see evidence of that later on in the conversation. However, she proves her ignorance of the truth. He is trying to relate to her when she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? To her, living water was the water possibly that was flowing at the bottom of this well, constantly replenishing itself so that water could be drawn from it. It was a hundred feet deep, this well. <clears throat> In that day, she asked him, she, she, she says, Sir, you don't have anything to draw with. But in that day, as people would travel, they would often carry a bucket with them and a rope. Buckets were generally made out of leather. And they would drop, come to a well, they'd drop their bucket in, get the water up, take a drink, and they move on. She, she knows that he doesn't have anything to drop into the well to draw the water up. She sees that. The disciples probably had a bucket. And they probably took it with them into the town when they went to buy food. They hadn't come back. <clears throat> Her statement is somewhat condescending as she views the situation. In essence, she is saying, you don't need to talk to me about drawing water and giving it to me. I can see that you don't have anything to draw water with. So where are you going to get this living water? Can you imagine it being said like that? I can These words reveal and illustrate her focus on means rather than on the Savior. She's looking at the means for which the water might be drawn. This living water, how are you going to get it? You have no bucket. She is occupied with what to draw the water with and the doing of drawing the water only. This is the way of all sinners. Who are yet unbelieving. They're always about doing something for salvation. They're always about doing rather than simply trusting what the Savior says. They're concerned with their own words or 
their proper statements or praying a proper prayer or having a amount of proper mourning or any other deed or action that makes them feel like they have a part in this. This is very dangerous because we have no part in it except to receive the water and drink. Receive and drink. The devil will use any thing he can, any means possible to draw the sinner away from trust in Christ alone. He'll try, always try to add something to it. Always try to make some work available so that you can have your part. Problem is we have no part except to receive. We must always remember that whenever the gospel is presented, Satan will always be against it. Always against it. We found out just yesterday that as our son is going through Indonesia, he's preaching and teaching in different places. Already, someone has come into Danawage where he's headed in the weeks ahead. Somebody's already come into the village To try to disrupt the gospel message. So we need to pray. We need to pray that this will not happen. That God will have free course in the teaching and preaching of the gospel as they get there. That he'll be able to strengthen the believers. That the work of God might be carried on. Satan will always seek to derail the gospel. At all times, in all places, by any means. Her view of Christ is still suspect because on the heels of that statement, she says, where do you get this living water? Can't you see the, in it? Where do you get this living water? Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You have nothing to draw with. Bit of sarcasm maybe in her voice? Or could she be thinking like many Jews thought that running or flowing water like from a stream or a fall was better than water that seeped up out of the ground into a well or a cistern? It was, it was cleaner. It was taste better. At this point, she is not entertaining the prospect that Jesus is serious. She sees that he doesn't have a roped bucket to draw with, so she turns to the history and origin of the well. You say you have living water? Jacob, our father, gave us this well. Hmm. You ever hear that today? Jacob did dig that well. As well as other wells that he he had a reputation for digging wells and finding water. But it take it took him much effort to and much expended effort and work to find water for his needs and the needs of his family and his livestock. To produce water without any effort and with nothing to draw it with would certainly be a greater feat than that of Jacob. But she doesn't believe it. 
you say, you have living water? Where's your bucket? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Ooh. In other words, who do you think you are? Jew? Who do you think you are? He could have answered her with a stinging response. In essence, he could have said, greater than Jacob? And he could have asked her, do you remember that Moses spoke of Jacob sending his family across the stream in the middle of the night? And in the nighttime, he he wrestled with an unnamed individual. He wrestled all night with him. Do you remember that? She would have said, oh yes, I know that story. He wrestled all night with this individual, this unnamed individual. And he cried out, let, the individual cried out, let me go, let me go. And Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Dawn began to break and they're still wrestling. Let me go. I won't let you go until you bless me. And finally, he received the blessing. He said, do you remember that story? Oh, yes, I know it well. He said, I'm the one that was wrestling with Jacob. He could have said that to her. But he didn't. Even though he was far greater than Jacob. Could Jacob have provided living water? No. But she clings to her understanding of the provision of the well. Jacob had dug this well and provided water for himself and his family and his livestock. She does what so many have done. They look to some great person of the past. Some ancestor or some great person in history for the answers for their present dilemma. When you talk to people about their spiritual condition, have you ever heard them say things like, yeah, my father was a preacher. You're talking to them about their soul and all they can bring up is, yeah, my dad was a preacher. Or yeah, I, I was raised in church. Or I was baptized as a kid. And they reach back into their past and they pull up some obscure person or act That hopefully will pacify your questions about their spiritual condition. They fall back on their ancestry or their personal experience. Notice that she brings race into the conversation. Is that a common thing today? For people to bring up race? I think it's more common now than it was in the 60s. Notice what she says. She says, our father Jacob. You get that? Our father Jacob dug this well and he gave it to us. To who? The Samaritans. She said, we're the the race of Of God. We're the ones that came from Jacob. And he gave it to us. You're not greater than Jacob are you? 
She is blind to the truth that stood right before her. And at this point, most of us in a conversation like this would become pretty perturbed. But Jesus didn't become perturbed with her. Notice something else in verse 12. This woman's response is called the misunderstood statement. It's a, it's a part of speech that John uses throughout, uh, or in many places in his gospel. She has grossly misunderstood the true nature of what Jesus is trying to say to her. And he is relating truths to her about the work of the Holy Spirit in in an individual's life. He is not talking about literal water gushing. He is talking about the power of the Spirit of God working in the life of those who follow Christ. Those who believe. Turn to John chapter 7. Flip over a few pages. We see it. Generally, people will just quote verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that's where they stop. But what is he really talking about? Verse 39 tells what he's talking about. Now this he said about the spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. He's talking about the work of the spirit. In the life of the individual. Who believes. Who follows Christ. Who repents of their sin. And is saved by the grace of God. What happens to that individual? Their life is flooded by the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit so that their life flows with the Spirit. The Spirit works through them. And what people see then is the work of God by the Spirit in the individual's life. It is like a river of water that's gushing from a stream or a spring that never dries up. All she understood was Flowing, drinkable water, which in her mind was living water. But that wasn't what he was talking about. And so Jesus gave the opportunity to explain the nature of salvation more clearly to her. And I think this is sometimes where we fail. We think that if a person doesn't understand or they're resisting, and people always resist, That we shouldn't continue on. Maybe we could attack it from a different angle. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Does that make sense to you? Let me give it to you more clearly. This is what Jesus does. So now Jesus. Get the picture. They're still at the well. They're still talking. Jesus points to the water. In the well. And relates an indisputable fact. People can drink of this water. He's pointing to the water in the well. People can drink of this water. But they'll get thirsty again. They'll get thirsty again. And they'll need to drink again. And it doesn't take much intelligence to understand that. Because everybody's been there. We know what it is to drink and quench thirst. And we know what it is to become thirsty again and need to drink again. 
It is a part of human existence. Human beings can go for long periods without food, but not very long without water. Water is a necessary component for physical life. So he compares that illustration to the spiritual truth that we find in verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. So we say, where is the comparison? The comparison is found in the word, the two words, drinks. We find it in the first part of verse 14, or in verse 13, and we find it in verse 14. It's the same word. To drink is to drink. It is to swallow liquid. In verse 13, the word drinks is a present active participle. So it indicates the continual need of human beings to drink water. It's present tense. We're always having to drink. And that doesn't stop. From the time that a newborn baby is born, the first thing we want to do is, is drink. Until the end of life, you need to drink. When you stop drinking, you'll die. Present active participle. You're doing the drinking. And it is what you do to stay alive. But in verse 14, the word drinks, which is the same word, is an aorist active subjunctive. The aorist tense is simply past tense with a point in time. So, what is he saying? He's looking at the water and he says, everyone who continually drinks of this water will have Drinks here will have to continually drink. But the water that I give, you only have to drink once. And when you drink that water, it will it'll it'll well up in you like a spring flowing, and you never have to drink it initially again. You can you can drink at it at the well of the spirit, and we do. When we go to the Word, when we trust in the Word, when we're following Christ, we're drinking of the Spirit. But that initial drink is one time. It happens at a point in time when a person comes to realize that Christ is the answer for their sin need. And they drink of the water of life and they're saved by trusting in Christ. And it becomes an act of one's own will. So when God brings the dead individual to life, he enacts in that individual's will to drink. Our natural spiritual state is that of spiritual death. We would never drink of the water. We would never want to drink of the water. We never could drink of the water until God brings it to us to drink. That's why Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. There was someone there that he had to give the water of life to. She was never going to come to him. He had to go to her. So when this happens, the water of life springs up. It's not a flat standing pool. It is a, it is an artesian well that never stops flowing. I remember as a kid, we lived, my dad went bankrupt twice, actually. 
both both times from fires. Uh, he lost his businesses in fires, and uh, second time the insurance wouldn't pay, so he went bankrupt two times. That third, that second time, he lost just about everything that he owned, and we ended up having to move from North Carolina up into the mountains of Virginia. Lived in a little four room house, uh, no bathroom, no outhouse, just a just a stove in the kitchen, uh, and my sister and I slept on one of those fold down. Remember those fold-down couches? You pull the back up and it'd fold down into a sort of a divan or a day bed. I remember visiting an old man. His name was Ellis Whirl. He lived in a cabin that was that was leaning, had poles on one side of it to keep it from falling over. My dad and I used to go down and visit with him and. Uh, old Ellis was about 85 years old. He never he never got any visitors. So when you visited with him, he would just talk nonstop, just talk, 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 talk. But I, the thing I remember was my dad used to love to go down there because he had an artesian spring well. Water gushed right up out of a rock. And so he put some planks together and made a little trough to run the water down to his cabin. And that water ran 24-7 out of that artesian well. It was the sweetest, coolest tasting water. Jesus said that's what that's what the spirit's like. That's what living water's like. It just flows. It bubbles up and it flows out and it doesn't stop. It just keeps going, keeps going. Think of all the things that a human being can experience in this life. It is not a flat standing pool. It is an artesian well. Things like love, success, fame, position, power. Yet in all these things, it is some, all those things, it's just a dip into the, to the cistern. It's a dip into the well. Jesus is not talking about that. He is talking about one thing, and that is the work of God in a person's life, spiritually, through the Spirit. And when you drink from that well, that spring, it satisfies forever. One commentator writes it this, This is the nature of salvation. One can drink of the pleasures of the world like this poor woman and still have to try to find more ways to satisfy themselves. Isn't that true? Doesn't matter what the person does, what a person gains, or what a person experiences. They always have to have something else, just a little bit more to satisfy. However, one trip to the fountain of living water will satisfy This thirsty soul forever coming to Jesus will forever meet the needs of life and of the heart. I like what one person said. If you had a handful of stickers that read. Will thirst again, you will thirst again. And you went around and placed those stickers everywhere you went. Placed them on the TV set. Place them on the bars and the pub windows. Place them on the bottles of alcohol. Place them on the prostitutes. Place them on the the desk of the business exec who's made it to the top. You will thirst again. That would be true. Because nothing we can 
gain or experience in this life will satisfy us except the living water that comes from Christ himself. It seems that human beings never really learn from those that have gone before them. No matter what the cautions or warnings are. We all make the same mistakes. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had all the wealth of the world. All the power of the world. And yet he writes in Ecclesiastes 1.14, it is all vanity. All vanity. It means nothing. I want you to notice one last thing. That the water that Christ says he has is a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It has to be received As a gift. When we receive as a grace gift through faith in the word of Christ. The water starts flowing. And it never ever stops. What a God. What a provision. What a salvation. I pray that you have that water flowing in you and through you. I pray that you are trusting in Christ and Him alone for salvation. Because that's what the living water is. If not, then God's message to you is repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and trust Christ to save you. Come to Him and drink of the water that He will give you. And you'll never thirst again. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this Lord's Day and for the truth of your, of your word. We thank you for this passage of scripture which is so clear in its, in its message of what you came to do. You came to give water of life to people. When the world is running here and there in fear of death, you have brought life. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here that does not know you, in the forgiveness of sins, I pray that they would come to you and bow before you and and humble themselves before you and receive the gift of life, giving water of the Spirit. By faith in Jesus alone. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love to us. With which we could not live or be accepted by you. We thank you. And we thank you that your blood does indeed speak for us. Before the Father. These things we ask in your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Just an announcement or two uh, before Dave comes back. Um, A couple of things that uh, 
I added to the uh, bulletin this week, um, don't, rem- don't forget that we have an Easter breakfast, Easter morning breakfast, as we always do uh, each Easter at 8.30 on Sunday morning. That's April 17th. And there will be a preparations uh, in the afternoon, I think they said, of the 16th. Okay, so if you'd like to help prepare, just a few guys needed, come out, help prepare for the uh, breakfast on the 16th. That'll be in the afternoon. More more definite time on that next week. Um, and then at the for preparation for the Sunday morning at 7, and then breakfast will begin at 8.30. There is a, uh, of course, we have Critical Race Theory Conference coming up in May on May 7th. That'll be here. And on Saturday, we'll tell you more about that in the next week or two. Um, Hannah Wilson's baby shower on the 14th at the uh, Wikis. Is that right? Yep. At the Wikis home uh, at 9 a.m. for brunch. There are two sign-up sheets on the board. One is a sign-up sheet for... Um, for a breakfast that is going to be prepared for the teachers and staff workers at Independence School, which is right over here, right? Um, uh, That's on, uh, what date is that? April 29th. Yeah, I don't see that in here. No, it's on the back. There you go. Thank you. I didn't look far enough. Um, so that, uh, that'll be on the 29th and, uh, they're needing 15 ladies to sign up to make 15 muffins and six ladies to, uh, to cut and prepare fruit. So that's the need. And the preparation for the fruit will be on April 28th at 3 p.m. If you can help with that, ladies, sign up on the board out there. There's a sign-up sheet. There's also another sign-up sheet out there for uh, ladies to help in the kitchens when, whenever we have dinners, uh, funerals, uh, weddings, whatever, kitchen help. And we're asking all the ladies to sign up. It'll be on a rotation basis, on an on-call basis. So you won't be you won't be serving every single time something like that happens during a quarter, like we have done in the past. You'll be called and see if you can serve, if you're available. And if so, then you'll rotate. The next time, it'll be a while before you will be called to serve. If we have enough ladies to sign up for that, uh, you may only need to serve once or twice in a year's time. So if you have questions about that, see Kathy Brown. If you have questions about the school thing, see either Kathy or my wife, Mary, and uh, they'll have the answers for you on those things. Did I get that right? All right, very good. One last thing. um, Common Slaves Spring Conference happens um, on the 23rd of this month. Uh, And if you would like to go to it, um, I'm trying to find it. Here it is. If you'd like to go to it, you can get... Your tickets on eventbrite.com. Eventbrite, just look up Common Slaves. 
And the theme of the conference is My Place in the World. What are the God-given purposes of the Christian? And so that's the conference title this year, and that's at LifeSpring Church in Crosby. Starts at 8.30 on the 23rd. All right, any other announcements that I've forgotten to make? Quite a few in the bulletin now. Very good to see. Yes, Sharon? Yes.